You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. This is Fair Game number 304. Today's guest joins us from San Antonio, Texas, where she oversees entertainment and exhibits for the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. Folks, this is Mallory Hines. Mallory, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. I'm glad I could get you on the show today. You know, a lot of folks inside the Texas Association Affairs know exactly who you are. But for those listeners who may not know who you are, can you give a quick background on yourself and how you came to be with the show there in San Antonio? Sure, sure. Um, So I am a a rare bird that went to college for something super specific and still have the immense blessing of using that every day. Um, I have a degree in music business, started out in the music industry, working at a record label, went into artist management, and through a super classic networking interaction, found out that there was some sort of music, something needed at the Stock Show and Rodeo um, nearly 11 years ago. So I came um, to begin working in entertainment production and over the years have added talent buying, um, overseeing our concession program. Um, and I get to work with a fabulous team that handles our retail um, shopping experience, our souvenir merchandise, our carnival, and all of our fairgrounds attractions. So I say that together we get to create all of the fun. So you're telling me that the longer you've been at that show, the more work they've given you. It's kind of weird how that works out. Um, <laughs> but I'd say the more joy too. It's really fun to get to be involved in a lot of different things and see a lot of different perspectives. Um, and those perspectives were really key in the last year. So you oversee entertainment and exhibits. Mm-hmm. Is that primarily headliner or main stage or is that all encompassing, including grounds entertainment? Um, all encompassing from an oversight standpoint, um, I handle the talent buying for the arena mm-hmm. and get to work with a fabulous teammate who does all of our purchasing of all of our outdoor stages and Got our attractions it. as well. Got it. What are some of the shows um, and, and headliners that you've had in there at the stock show? Um, we have had everything from Tim McGraw, Keith Urban, Brad Paisley, Toby Keith, the heavy hitters of country. Um, we get to do some fun pop every now and then. Jason Derulo, Pitbull. We've done reggaeton with Jay Balvin. Um, we do some kind of legacy type programming. Um, Alan Jackson. We've done classic rock with Sammy Hagar. We've had Huey Lewis in recent years. Um, so we are being a rodeo. We have a heavy lean toward country. Um, but imagine being that. A, imagine that. But we also were in the middle of the seventh largest city in the country, and we want to appeal to a diverse array of folks. So we sprinkle in a lot of other genres as well. So what got you interested in this type of show, uh, uh, this side of the show? You said you, you got a, a degree in, in music management. What is, what's all that about? Sure. Um, I, as I was going to college, I, I thought I was going to be Linda Cohn and be on Sports Center. And when I started looking <laughs> at the curriculum, just stumbled upon finding that you could make a career out of being in the music industry. Um, so I followed that path. What's really fun about being in the fair world, um, I grew up in Dallas, going to the State Fair of Texas, actually performing on their community stage frequently, um, and came from a family of cattle ranchers. Um, you performed so, on their community stage. What were you performing? Ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, all varieties of dance for about 15 years um, there at the State Fair of Texas. Next time I see you at the convention, I know what you're doing. That's right. I will (laughs) gladly carry everybody at the trade show. show. That's right. 
Well, that's um, but being here gets to marry my passion for agriculture as well as entertainment. So it's a pretty unique, cool opportunity. Well, that's really cool. The number of people in the industry that I've spoken with so far, their stories, as you can imagine, goes the opposite way. They say, oh, yeah, I got a degree in accounting. And uh-huh. now here I am as the marketing director, the fair manager of the such and such county fair has nothing to do with it. But you stayed right in line with your degree. Yeah, it's wild. I took an entire class on promoting concerts and then looked up one day and I was promoting concerts. So it's kind of a, a unique, very straight path. <laughs> so your parents must be very proud that that any money they spent on your college education actually went to a lifelong career. They are very proud and still do not exactly understand what I do all day. Um, but we always laugh. People go, oh, that's a year round job. And it's like, yeah, and then some. Yes. Yeah, my degree, I went to Eastern New Mexico over um, in Portales, which is just on the New Mexico side from Lubbock. Absolutely. I used to work with Texas Country Acts that played your uh, campus programming. There you go. Um, I I tell you what, um, my degree is in television production. And the only aspect of it that I use is producing my video and now doing a podcast. I literally, I, I climb in a box and pretend to be a fortune machine. Like, what does that have to do with television production? I well, then know. what course of study would have been most appropriate for that? I'm not sure. Um, no idea. I, I got it. I have, I have nothing. It's one of those things where when I started, I, magic was my hobby. I started into the fair industry as a magician. And then I, when I realized there were 30,000 magicians in the fair industry that would all do it for less than I would, thought that career is not going to last so long. And so I became an entrepreneur real quick and I innovated another act. Uh, but yeah, how do, you, how do you go from television production in, in Portales, New Mexico? And yeah, you, I'm sure you guys did some pro campus programming with some of the, the NACA and the cooperative buying stuff because it would Absolutely. make it it would make it a lot cheaper to get uh, to get acts uh, yes. that way. That's the only way we could at Eastern. It's the only way we could afford a lot of those acts that came in there is if we we block booked with you know West Texas A and M and Texas Tech or something like that. Absolutely, it makes for a wonderful weekend for an artist. So I'm curious. Um, we'll get some more entertainment here in a minute, um, but taking a step back real briefly, March of 2020 comes along. COVID hits. All hell breaks loose. Your show had already taken place in 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. We are a February event. So we had been closed for about two weeks when the world really shut down. What are you feeling as you see the entire industry, your friends in this industry, essentially is collapsing. And yet you guys got your show in. Was there any uh, like, I don't know, survivor's guilt or anything like that going on? That is exactly the term I have used personally. I don't want to speak for anyone else, um, but I, I looked at my friends and felt just this immense amount of empathy and sympathy for what they were going through to be in a situation so uncontrollable and to look around and go, I mean, by the grace of God, like, how did we pull this off? Um, we, we were so lucky and eternally grateful that we managed to have a safe and successful event in 2020. It's remarkable. Now, y'all escaped the wrath of COVID in early 2020. Mm-hmm. And eventually, 2021 rolls around and COVID's still, uh, still hanging out. And you guys got your turn of having to make some decisions. Um, did you all have a full show in 21 or was it somewhat modified? It was quite modified. Absolutely. 
What did those modifications look like? Sure. Um, so to tell you what our normal event looks like to kind of set that up, we are typically an 18 day event. Um, we have an NBA arena on the property that has just under 17,000 capacity where we do 22 shows. Um, we have a very large carnival. We have over 200 retail vendors. We have five outdoor stages, tons of food. It's a fair, it's a rodeo, it's a stock show. Um, we, as with many people, I'm sure sat there in March and went, wow, this is going to be a weird couple weeks ahead. And then we thought, okay, this is going to be a weird couple months ahead. And all the while we're planning, we're planning. Okay. We, and we kind of took the, the mindset of if we don't plan to do something big, it will never happen. We must plan for the best case scenario and then adjust. And then that adjustment period came and we got a few months into this and we said, there's no way February, 2021 looks like normal to us. Um, so we called it the plan B plan. And we started looking at every aspect and going, okay, under current guidelines, what can we do? What is safe? And what is financially sound decision-making? Um, and so what we ended up with was the rodeo piece was highly modified due to capacity restrictions and costs of producing the show. We were able to take advantage of the Freeman Coliseum on our property, which is a much smaller capacity, allowed us to handle pod seating. And we ended up with a capacity of about 3,900 in there. Um, due to the economics of ticketing, we booked a very different but very fun entertainment lineup and handled tickets that way. Um, our livestock show was very modified, schedule adjusted, you know, worked to make sure all protocols were followed in that area. And then we really weren't able to offer an opportunity to the public. Um, so the only other thing we created, we have a wonderful volunteer base of 6,000 volunteers that give their heart and soul to support our mission and what we do. Um, and so we made sure to create a fun space for them on the property to you know, take a break from their shift, um, to hang out at the end of the night. Um, so we simulcast the rodeo and concert into an adjacent area and also use that area during the day to host livestock exhibitors and their families for a little bit of um, food and beverage. Wow. It, it's gotta be a, a huge challenge to plan this event in the first place, but then to have to modify it as much as you did during a pandemic, it had to be a huge undertaking. How do you go about doing that and not damage your brand? Because the folks in San Antonio are used to major spectacle. And now <laughs> here's this sort of not really the San Antonio stock show, but that's what we're doing this year. So how do you do it and still protect your brand? I love that you bring up brand because that was one of the first things we all thought of. Um, we have a brand. It is very heavy rodeo. We have a very large livestock <clears throat> show and we are, you know, one of the largest events in the city. Part of protecting that for us was doing anything we could to maintain a foothold on the calendar. We did not want our brand to leave someone's mind because we know that with so many options in the entertainment space and when things fully return, we want someone to go every February, this is what I do. So we felt it was very important to stay there. The flip side of that is we wanted to make sure that we didn't tarnish by offering a lesser product. We wanted to make sure that what we did offer was high quality, but also unique. And so that was really the blessing of having this other facility, we kind of um, called it the retro rodeo. We went in, this building was where we first started our event in 1949. Um, we moved into the brand new NBA arena in 2003. 
Um, so we were kind of able to take it back and really create a completely different product with different imagery, different aesthetic of the whole room, um, different music, different entertainers following. And so that was our big thing is we, we didn't want you to look at it as a bad version of what we do. We wanted you to look at it as a different version of what we do. Got it. And then I'm assuming your marketing team worked very hard on messaging to make sure that people understood that while this wasn't going to look what, like, you know, what you normally are used to as our, our guests, we're going to give you good value for your money. Absolutely. And it, they had a very big challenge that I must commend them on doing an incredible job of. Um, we weren't able to just say, it, it's so interesting in, in our industry, it's come one, come all. Our gates are open. We have room for everyone. That was not the case. So we had to be very careful in our messaging. In We didn't want a family to load up and show up at the gate expecting the same experience. Um, so we really pivoted our message this year. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Our entire existence is to support the youth of Texas through education. Um, so we provide scholarship funding, grants, endowments, things like that. So we really focused on the mission that the reason we are trying to have this event, the reason we are still bringing these exhibitors into their show, the reason we are still trying to sell tickets is to support the youth of Texas. So it was a very big pivot for the year. It sounds like um, the 4-H and FFA programs are pretty big at your event. In the state of Texas, I'm not super knowledgeable on the topic, um, but we have a very <laughs> large livestock show as do many of the fairs in Texas. Yeah, that's one of the things I really, I, I marveled at how our fairs, all of them that I've talked to, almost all of them were in a position where, you know, when they made their cancellation announcements on Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, nobody was saying, what about the guy who gets in the fortune machine? No one was saying, what about the corn dogs? They were all saying, what about the kids and their livestock? What are we doing about that? This, yeah. this community, our fair community rallied around those kids within their livestock programs in their communities in an amazing way. It was really impressive to see. Yeah. And I don't think it was that our partners were forgotten, but it was in terms priority. of priority. Priority. Um, but I think, I know our team was very empathetic to our partners. I mean, we had wonderful partners that could not be a part of the event this year. And that was really hard. Um, and we're very mindful of that going forward. How do we reincorporate these wonderful people that allow us to do what we do? Sure. So on the exhibit side of things, um, what kind of exhibits are you handling? Is it, is it just general vendors or, or what does that look like? Yeah. So in terms of vendors, we did have a very reduced number this year. And we really looked at that and said, you know, what space is available? Because we were having to make tough decisions. Like, what does it cost to turn the lights and air conditioning on in this building? Can we justify that right now? Um, and so one thing we did was we brought in vendors to the stock show area that are essential to those families. They need tack. They need supplies. Maybe a shirt. You get something on your shirt and you need to go in the show ring. So we wanted to provide those things. Um, a little bit fun. We view shopping as an experience, but also necessity-based. And then inside the rodeo and concert facility in the Coliseum, we had a few vendors in there as well that really um, work well for that crowd. Things they like, turquoise jewelry, boots, things you think of with a rodeo. Um, we were not able to offer all of our typical retail vendor space um, because we weren't able to have uncontrolled public um, in mass numbers. Um, same for our attractions and things like that. We did not have attractions this year because at that point we could not have 
the full capacity of the fairgrounds. Sure. Um, speaking of that, in giving your fans some level of an event this year, you talked mm -hmm. earlier about pod seating in the arena. Mm -hmm. What other protocols did you have in place to help mitigate the spread of COVID? Sure, quite a bit. Um, we kind of looked at it as our three main pillars. Um, <clears throat> face coverings were required really at all times unless eating or drinking. Um, we had social distancing throughout, so the pods naturally create that, but all lines, we had the floor markers, everything that's become commonplace at this point. Um, we did temp screening with the thermal scanners at all entrances to the property, as well as secondary entrances to the buildings in case your um, status had changed throughout the day. Um, we had all kinds of fancy um, the Synexus biodefense system that reduces the presence of microorganisms. We had um, technology in the HVAC system. We had a bioesque disinfectant that was applied to high touch surfaces, sanitizing, hand washing, all those things. And we used digital ticketing um, for our rodeo and concert performances, to name a few things. Um, I'm sure that's just a few. I'm yeah. guessing that that budget got probably pretty big to make sure that you could I mean, it had to for any fair that happened to make sure that they could mitigate this safely. The thing that kills me is after all this, Fauci finally goes on TV and says, oh yeah, you know, and I know you guys are indoor arena, but Fauci finally goes on TV and says, actually the chances of contracting COVID outdoors is minuscule. That was the word he used was minuscule. I'm like, you slaughtered our entire industry and now you're like, oh yeah, it's minuscule. And you knew it the entire time. Well, and it's interesting to see what, you know, we're learning all of us, including the sciences, learning as we go through this process. So it's it's a wild time to be in events for sure. Um, and shortly after we completed our event, the state of Texas um, loosened a lot of restrictions on capacities. So at the time we operated, we were under a 50% capacity, including some caveats such as between pods, there must be two empty seats and the seats in front of and behind must be empty. So that's kind of the great fallacy of the capacity conversation. Once you really dig into the other protocols that are necessary, your capacity could be much lower than what's stated. Yeah, they might um, limit I think you for to us, 50 it was around 40 attendance. Yeah, 50% attendance might look like 35% in your arena. Right. right. Wow. It's tough to make your money back when you're your, your attendance is cut that, you know, that low. Yeah, it's tricky. And that's where, as you said, you know, how do we make these decisions? Um, it was a lot of things. It was, as we've discussed the brand piece, there's obviously the financial piece, um, it, very simple economics. You can't spend <clears throat> half a million dollars on an entertainer if you're only bringing in 200,000 in ticket sales. Um, so looking through all those numbers and going, what can we do? Right, right. I know when I spoke with Linnell Smith, um, from the Sydney Royal Easter show. That was one of the real bummers for us last year. We were scheduled to take Conjure down to that show in Australia. Wow. That was going to be amazing. I, you know, she's, we'll still get it at some point. They've just got to have like a full, completely open show to generate enough the revenue to bring in the international act. So sure. Next years, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get a shot at it, but she expressed at that point, when we talked with her back in November of mm -hmm. last year, real concern about preserving their brand. That was one of their major yeah. concerns because at that point they were going to be restricted to like 50% attendance. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately when they ran it, they were allowed 60%. Um, but when you're talking about a million people and now you're, you're allowed, you know, 500,000 to 600,000 people, 
that's a huge shot of revenue right there of, of loss. And how do you, how do you create a show that your, your folks still turn up for and feel real value for look based on everything she posted um, last month when they were running, I think the folks turned up. I think they were really happy with what they got. And it sounds like that was the same with San Antonio. Have you gotten any feedback from your guests on, on the show? We have. Um, feedback is great. Of course, people wish they didn't have to follow certain protocols to some degree, um, but it was what was needed at the time. And I think we were really pleased to receive an overwhelming positive bunch of feedback that they were glad we were able to do this for the sake of the kids we serve. And we were able to offer some folks the ability to come watch. And I'd say as a team of our staff and volunteers, we are thrilled that we were able to make this happen. Um, it was good for the sake of our brand, even though it was different, we maintained our foothold and we will still be able to support the community through our scholarships. Um, and it was a really good exercise for all of us in pivoting. Um, our CEO actually this we Monday. Hate that morning, word. We hate the word pivot here. on the I know <laughs> I, I hate pivot and I hate out of an abundance of caution. I want to bury these terms, uh, but they are a part of our life. Um, but it was funny this Monday morning, our CEO gathered us and talked to us about the kind of business theory of the OODA loop and basically said, this is what we have been doing through all of these challenges is making decisions. And so the idea of the OODA loop is that you observe, you orient, you decide, and you act. And we had to do that numerous times over and over again. And so what it did was teach our team how to adapt in changing situations. It taught our team how to break down their financials and really go, do you need to spend this money on this thing? Or could you do without that? Where is your dollar best served? Um, and so we overwhelmingly are glad we did what we did. Yeah. It sounds like you guys had a really successful show. Let's, um, let's switch back here to entertainment real quick. Sure. I'm curious, being an entertainer myself, mm -hmm. as you've been working your way through this pandemic with your team, are mm -hmm. you all seeing changes in entertainment contracts, any language in the contract that's changing, changing as far as COVID goes? Sure. I think we all call it the COVID language. Um, and it varies depending on who you're talking to, mm -hmm. but I, I think we kind of expected to see it. It's like from a, a health and safety standpoint and from a legality standpoint, everyone wants to physically protect and legally protect. So there were some new things that showed up this year, um, but we're, in my opinion, personally, very realistic and able to be worked through um, because ultimately we as the venue wanted to do what is right and safe for those we are asking to come be a part of our event. I'm curious what y'all are seeing around pricing on acts. I know on the grounds entertainment side of things, there seems to be um, kind of three camps that being one says this, you know, we haven't raised our prices in forever. If you're going to do it, now's the time. Another that says just hold the status quo. And the, another that says our, the fairs are our business. If they go out of business, we got nothing. And so do whatever you got to do. If that means that, you know, negotiating a lower price for now to help protect their budgets, then do that. As someone who's buying entertainment, what are you seeing on that front? I would say that's a pretty fair assessment as well. I think a lot of it is directly related to overhead. Um, <clears throat> what we saw that made our event possible in 2021 was working with acts that are more local, that did not need to fly, that had the lower overhead of hopping on a bus, maybe one that they already owned, 
um, or a van and coming over. And so we could come to a really good realistic place where we said, this is not the ideal cost for any of us, but we're all going to make some money here. We're all going to take care of each other. And that worked. Um, I don't expect that to continue. I think it's natural that things would go back to at least where they were. Um, I can't say I'm seeing any big money grab and people trying to drive values super high. Um, I, I think for the most part, people are optimistic and realistic about the state of things. Um, and everyone's pricing is, I would say, fair at this point. Um, we've all got to work together to stay in business and survive. Um, I don't know that we can look to any one party to make up for the loss we've experienced, but I think by being right. good partners to each other and making business possible, that's how we're, we go forward. Yeah, I, the conversations I've had with some of the grounds entertainers, a couple that we're talking about, we're raising our prices. I'm not in that camp. That For me, I feel like short term, yeah, that might make you up some money that you lost in 2020. But being a performer that's in this industry for the long haul, I'm looking mm -hmm. at what's the long tail. You know, if I take, I discount 25% right now or 15% or 30, whatever the number needs to be to yeah. make something work so that that fair can provide a great value to their, their guests. And they feel like I was the partner that was there for them. What does that mean in the long tail of things for my business? That's how I'm approaching it. Absolutely. And I think that's my perception is that people understand there are deals to be had out there in some situations and they will not last forever. There is no obligation to provide that in the future. This is a unique situation. Um, but I also think, especially the last year, our actions will follow us for 10 years or more or the rest of our careers. And I, I have been so delighted to see the great deal of partnership and humanity among all sides of the entertainment equation, attractions, buyers, agents, everyone was humanized in a really crazy way. And, and we got so humbled I, on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think uh, everyone kind of did a gut check and, and was like, you know, we've, we've got to be partners through this. So I'm, I'm delighted at what I've seen. Awesome. Plenty of entertainment options obviously can be found at our fair industry conventions and trade shows. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, IEFE recently announced after this year, they're leaving San Antonio and heading to Indianapolis. Being from San Antonio, I'm going to put you on the spot. What, okay. do you, what do you think of the move north? It's great. I think from the get-go, I was under the impression that San Antonio was just one stop for a few years and then we would be moving on. Um, I think it's really cool to break away from the norms. I think we fall into patterns that every year at convention on this day, I do this thing. So heck yeah, let's go somewhere new and find new traditions, um, meet new faces and enjoy a new city. I think each city has a flavor. Um, and so let's go try some others. It was really cool to have it three miles away from my office. But quite <laughs> frankly, I still stayed down there because to me, so much of the wonderful networking happens outside of the eight to five. So I wanted to grab that morning coffee or that late night cocktail with somebody. Yeah. Um, so all it saved me was the flight. So yeah. I, I, I welcome the opportunity to move. I've loved having it here. I think the convention center did an incredible job. Um, yeah. We work with that catering crew in a lot of events. So we're very partial and we love them. The food was awesome, but I know it's going to be great when it moves too. Yeah. You, you know, you want to talk about, you know, kind of breaking up the norms of what people do. Yeah. Um, the whole Sydney Royal Easter show came about, I think exactly because of that. I, cool. when we, when they announced it was moving to San Antonio, 
bunch of the entertainers grumble, grumble, grumble. And I'm like, oh no, this is going to be good. And they're like, why? And I said, listen, this show has been in, in the Paris ballroom here for 40 years. Everybody knows where everything is on the floor. They yeah. get blinders on people. The I said, you got to think about the fairs. It's the same show every year that, that I said, literally down to the carpet on the floor at that, that showroom in, in, and the ballroom in, in Vegas is busy. We're allowed, like we're a loud convention. We are yeah. very colorful and bright and creative. We it, feel it, like our events, which is awesome. Yes. Yes. And it, I, I, I was telling people the fairs that are like the fair buyers walking through here, they get blinders on because it's so overwhelming. It's mm -hmm. like visually overwhelming. I said, you watch, we're going to go to San Antonio. Two things are going to happen. One, they've got standard gray carpet. So it's going to tone down the show. And two, the whole floor is getting moved. So people are going to have to open their eyes and actually see where things are and look around and actually pay attention. I had entertainers like, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. Sure as hell. First day of the show when we're, when we're in San Antonio, Linnell Smith walks up to me and she looks at Conjure and she goes, well, this is really cool. She goes, when did you bring it into the market? How long is, I haven't seen this before. I said, I've had it since 2011. Wow. Goes, I've been at the show every year. I've never seen it. Case in point, I think she literally, it was just so overwhelming. It hid. That's so, really cool. The Sydney Royal Easter show happened because we moved to San Antonio. So thank That's you, really IFB. Cool. And thank you to the uh, uh, Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center for being awesome. That. That's, that's my story on that. So the idea of, oh, now we're going to go to Indianapolis. So now we're, I love it. I, I try to encourage um, exhibitors, don't keep the same booth every year. Move it. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I like the idea of tossing the floor every year so it looks different because I think that helps you guys because then you go in and you get a fresh look at everything. Sure. So I will say I'm going to miss giving restaurant recommendations. I got so many fun emails and calls from people and they felt like they were bothering me. I'm like, no, no, no. This is a passion point for me. I will go downtown and hunt these down for you. So <laughs> Indiana friends, this is a fair warning. I'm coming to you for recommendations. That's right. That's right. We had Cindy Hoy on the show. She's better be uh, from Indiana State Fair. She better be coughing up some good restaurant recommendations. That's it. When you walk through that trade show, as crazy as it is, what are some entertainment things that catch your eye? At surface value, it is height, width, size, something walking down a trade show aisle that jumps out of the booth at me a little bit. Um, I'll compliment Mango and Dango. That show is tall. It is wide. It moves. And so I can spot it from a mile away and go, what is that? That's really interesting. Yes. That's um, still to act in the business. Amazing. Such They're a second, beautiful, second to none. yeah, such a beautiful creation. Um, and then I think too, it's people. I'm a huge people person. Um, please make eye contact and say hello, but also please um, respect some distance, especially as we go forward. Um, and there's a, there's an aggression factor that we've got to find the happy medium between, but I think I there's was just, I was just about to ask you, what's something you wish trade show exhibitors understood about your booking process? and maybe not attacking you in the aisles as one of them. Yeah, that's not gonna make, make a difference. I try to make a point to look at every single one. I pick a side each day. Maybe I'll start on the left side one day, the right the other, and the center the third day. I make a point and I would say my entire team does whether or not they're even involved. We, everyone who comes to that convention from our staff makes a lap through there. We try to look at every single booth. 
So being super aggressive is not going to bring us there. We're coming. Um, it's all about handling that interaction. Um, and I think the, the amazing shows speak for themselves. I know if I need um, big, loud motorcycles, magic, I, I kind of know what I need. So um, I'm really just looking for the quality of that thing. Now, to Linnell's point, there are things that jump out and surprise us. And we go, man, we don't have a home for that or a need for that, but how could we create that? And that I think is the real magic of the trade show is finding that thing you didn't even know you were looking for and maybe don't need right now, but how can you create a home in the future? Sure. Well, and I think maybe something, some one thing about your show that a lot of folks don't realize is that, yes, you have this massive attendance. You're one of the, the biggest shows in the country, but you're on a really small uh, small bit of real estate there in San Antonio. It's not like you're LA County and you're just sprawling and sprawling. True. Yeah. We try to make a very good use of space and we're actually, we're going through a really fun process right now, really inspired by all of 2021 and having to rethink everything, looking at spaces and going, okay, how can we keep this piece of real estate active for more of the day? How can we marry this type of show and that type of show and merge this content and really keep this area rocking because we don't have any more space to build another destination on. We've got to use the space we have more wisely. How many acres are you guys on down there? Oh, don't quote me. I need to open the facility report. I want to say the entire property is, I don't even, I don't even want to tell you. Google map Not us, 723 we'll, we'll, AT&T Center Parkway. We'll, we'll Google it. We'll, we'll figure yeah. it out. And I know, I remember um, talking to one of you guys once um, and he told me and I was shocked. I was like, man, that's like small county fair size in, in some cases. Like it's it's definitely not sprawling the way LA County is. It's not like right. Pomona, where it just goes and goes and goes and goes. Yeah, it's very different <laughs> because we are in partnership with the Spurs. Um, so it is the arena and all of the adjacent parking, which is expansive. It's more than what is needed for a basketball game. Um, but we make very wise use of that entire property. And then we are lucky to have some really cool property just down the street that serves as kind of our livestock show staging space. Mm. Um, so we've been able to expand a little bit in the neighborhood to do things for our show. Got it. So the last year has been a real challenge. What's something you've learned about yourself along the way? Um, that changes your friend. I think, especially in this industry that is so, so deeply rooted in a beautiful tradition. And I, I always want to respect that tradition and what that means to our patrons, but we are capable of change. And as individuals, we are capable of rapid change just because we created something or we like something or something was profitable. doesn't mean it can't be done in a new and better way. Um, and I really love that. It, it, you know, it seems challenging and you go, oh man, this is going to take hours and brain power, but that's what fulfills us or we wouldn't do this. Um, so I, I'd say it's that I actually can embrace that. Excellent. With that answer, Mallory, we're just about out of time. Before we go, everyone who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm gonna oh boy, this is like David Faraday. I can't wait. Here we go. Six quick questions. Uh, you give me your best answer to each. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. Question number one. What's your favorite fair food? Corny dog, old school mustard and ketchup. What's the most exciting event at your rodeo? 
I think the rodeo itself, particularly the rough stock, which is the classic answer, but the big oohs and ahs of those animals match with those contestants is wild. When you travel, name one item you absolutely must have with you. Ooh, must have. Um, I would say my noise canceling headphones, but they're not charging well. So I'm really learning to be low tech. It's a book. I, what I miss right now is getting on a plane and reading a book. With that, what's your favorite book that you've read? Um, oh man, uh, Glennon Doyle's Untamed is a really incredible book for women about um, being free in a lot of ways. And I'd say right now I'm reading Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek that is not about only working for four hours, but it's about efficiencies. And it is really causing me to think about a lot of the inputs and outputs in my day. Yes. Uh, if you could go on vacation anywhere in the world, once COVID is over, where would it be? Ooh, man, I'd really like to go see Linnell down there, but I think um, number one, man, I love Spanish speaking. I, I am a novice myself but I, I really want to get to Spain as soon as possible last question on the last day of a trade show at IFE is your badge facing forward or backward it's backward <laughs> she's like oh yeah it's backward leave me alone people. gotta be honest <laughs> I love it you know when I first started asking that question for some people that there was a moment where a couple of fair managers got like big saucer eyes like oh my god they know yeah, we oh, are. they know. We are. I thought of it last night. I left a networking event and went to get dinner. And a man on the patio of the restaurant said, hi, Mallory Hines. And I was like, what? And he goes, you need to take off your name tag. And I immediately flashed to the trade show and ripped it off. That's a little sketch. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess there's just some, some performers, some exhibitors are just like cram as many flyers into people's hands as possible. So that I can go recycle them for you. Uh, right. I, I, I don't know. I, my first year or two in the industry, I probably went through like two or 300 flyers. And now I don't think I give away 15 by the trade show. Cause I know what I'm, I, I know what I'm looking for. I know what my scheduling is. I know what my routing is. You may walk by from the San Antonio livestock show. And I'm going to be like, Hey, how are you, Mallory? Nice to see you. Exactly. If I'm, I'm going to be all the way down in South Florida the week before your show, it doesn't make any sense. True. But then there's that connection to be made for the future when one day that changes. But I'd say instead of giving me stuff, it's to me, it's my iPhone camera. I come back at the end of any experience and go, what did I capture? And that feeds the mental picture. So if I like your booth, so I may snap a picture to remind me. So I need to get a selfie with you. So as you swipe through, you're like, oh, yeah, the fortune guy. Oh, that's it. That's not bad. Not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory, American folks learn more about the San Antonio Stock Show. www.sarodeo.com. Sarodeo.com. Mallory Hines, Entertainment and Exhibits Officer for the San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo. Really appreciate you being generous with your time today. Thanks for being on the show. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Air Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.